Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. DIY20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. So for me personally, like I, if we're talking bird dogs, I want them to want, if they're a young dog, want it, want it, want it. I want you to drag me into it. I'm never restraining you. Right? So there's a difference between restraint to add value to the thing in front of you and restraint because I want to restrain you from the thing in front of you. One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. All right, all you bird dog people, do not skip this episode. I know that you're going to see in the title and you're going to hear in a second what we're talking about this week in the tracking episode, but I need you to slow down and think of this from the thousand foot view and think of this as dog training, not just tracking training because i tell you what joe you can probably attest because you you've listened to through this as well you're going to hear a lot on this episode grace and talk grace and and jay talk about tracking is tracking i want to rephrase that and say training is training as i was listening back through this episode there is some gold throughout this entire episode no matter what you want to train this your dog for 
right? It's not just tracking. I mean, literally, like, the whole topic of this episode could have been called anything from, like, you know, finding the lowest common denominator reward system or recognizing the dog's drive or train hard, test easy or consistency and routine. Like, there's a million different ways this episode could have taken us, but it just happened to be about tracking. And so, clearly, if you're interested in teaching your dog how to track, this episode is going to appeal to you. But also, if you don't have any desire in the world to have your dog track beyond, say, the NAVDA pheasant track at the NA level, still listen to this because there's some golden nuggets for training your dog if you focus on the why instead of the how. Does that make sense, Joe? Dang, you're you're fired up, Nick. I love it. I am, man. I love this episode. (laughs) I listened back to this, and there's some golden nuggets in here if you just listen to it and apply it to anything else besides tracking and and, you know it's no surprise really when you when you're talking about two guests such as grayson who's been on a number of times before but also jay 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 is one of those guys if he if he doesn't have the most miles tracked in the world as a human with the dog you know he's top five like that's what he does (laughs) is he's in africa he lives this fascinating life and before that he was training bomb dogs and bite dogs and detection dogs like he has all this experience as a dog trainer that he's applying to tracking dogs right now. And again, like I said, not to repeat myself too much, but you know, they say tracking is tracking. This is training is training. And Grayson, every time I have him on, it's amazing how when I listen back to this, when we're editing it or whatever, I'm amazed at he has a way of putting things into words that I don't even pick up on necessarily when we're in person or recording. But I listen back to it, and I'm like, that, that that's pretty brilliant. <laughs> and I know he's not going to take credit for that, but, like, mm. there's a few few things in here that, like, if you just pay attention to the, to the, to the why and the stuff in between the hows and stuff like that, you're, you're going to come away with a big knowledge that you can apply to your dog. Yeah, and, you know, when I was listening to it, I thought so much of my training is, like, how – pleasant my hunt is going to be right Mm -hmm. because that's that's what jack's for so i want to make sure that you know he is not going to give me a headache by running chasing off after a deer (laughs) or have a bunch of like you know if he's going to false point and a bunch of that stuff and this is like his life is almost like on the line (laughs) you know like that's that's the focus and the excellence he puts into his training yeah which is which is crazy yeah oh it's it's nuts and and to caveat off that like we're not going to go into too much about spoiler alerts about like what we actually talk about in this you just need to listen to it And, and again even if you're not interested in tracking listen to it and then you know there's a little bit of especially towards the end jay starts getting into some of the stories here and there and uh his stories are fascinating. He lives a life that, you know, none of us here, especially with just bird dogs, could even imagine living. And, uh, you know, I'll let you kind of touch on on the bonus episode for the Patreon users here in a second. But, you know, it, it's just one of those perspectives. Go into this with an open mind and don't just skip this week's episode because you don't have any interest in big game tracking. So, Joe, what what are you thinking? Are you going to have the Patreon patron uh, episode, the bonus episode for them available tomorrow as well? Or what, what's the timing looking like on that? Tomorrow it's going to go out. Okay. I mean, I was listening to the episode and I was like, man, I'm so happy <laughs> that there's like 
a secondary episode that really just focuses on I think we're calling it war stories. <laughs> yeah. To yep. like actually like listen and and hear more about just Jay's like crazy crazy yep. life, you know? Yep. So this episode, you know, you're gonna hear a lot about breaking down the steps and how Jay goes about creating the foundation for any dog. For any dog of any breed uh, you can build the foundation and train it just like anything else, just as if you're doing forest fetch or something. But the bonus episode, we're going to put that out for just the Patreon patrons for right now. Uh, that's more the entertainment, get to know Jay and, and some of the crazy stories. And I'll, I kick myself for not turning on the microphone sooner because some of the stories that he told that I don't have on tape is, it's just amazing. Yeah. But, you uh, walked up and you were like, Hey, uh, what were you guys talking about right there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> That's much. That's kind of how the episode starts. So, uh, but yeah, you know, guys, you're going to hear hear throughout this episode, you know, that if you're interested, if you're in a NAVDA chapter and you want to, you know, kind of reach out and figure out what it would be for a tracking clinic in your area or your chapter, reach out to Grayson Geyer at Lost Highway Kennels and and talk to him. Uh, Jay Jay's available, but you know they're just they're just trying to establish this little clinic. You know this was kind of a, a beta test almost. So uh, be sure to check them out. And, and Joe, I, I don't think we have to really keep talking it up or amping it up. I just wanted to kind of get it out there because you know as as well as any other bird dog guy, like if it doesn't pertain to birds or NAVDA or German system or whatever we're part of, we tend to kind of skip for the week and it's just like, you know, I want people to actually go into it and and look in between the lines and apply it to their own training program. Yeah. And I know you you guys are going to come away with it just wanting to hear more about Jay. So Go ahead if you guys want to listen to more. It's going to be on Patreon. You'll get a you'll get a link. It, hey, throw us a dollar. You get the episode. Worst case, you forget that you've even signed up for Patreon, and that, so you've paid twelve dollars. <laughs> Say you forget about it for a year, and you pay twelve dollars for this for this awesome episode. But yeah, there's this is going to be the first of other stuff that we're also going to do um, just for the the Patreon members because we appreciate you guys so much. Um, you guys are really allowing us to do this and invest our time into it. So we want to make sure that, um, you guys are getting a little something extra out of it. So I know whenever we have the opportunity to go a little bit deeper with guests or, you know, maybe when someone's had a little bit too much to drink, that's when we turn the mics on and have the best <laughs> stories. And those might just be a little bit for, uh, the, the Patreon patrons. Yeah, but. There you go. There you go. Well, you want to hit everybody with a quick review and then we'll get to, uh, to the the guys that people came to listen to besides us yeah i don't uh i think people were so upset that they haven't been getting a tip of the week uh <laughs> that they've stopped leaving the reviews um so this guys, past week was a little slow it was it was it was slow on the review so if you guys want a gdoy gift make sure you guys leave a review uh so i'm going back a little bit on this one uh this one it says great podcast from font Two seven one zero. Two seven one zero. All right. He goes, whether you're an average Joe or a pro, this is a great bird dog podcast. Great content. It's like sitting down with your friends talking birds. I picked this one because we're not so much talking birds, but really this episode is you talking to two buddies and just talking about stories, talking about training and uh that's kind of what the podcast is all about. There you go. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Going going back in time, font 
uh, hit us up at gundogityourselfatgmail.com. Let us know that that's you, and we'll be happy to to throw a sticker in the mail for you and appreciate you taking the time out of your day to uh, leave us a review. And, and Joe, unless there's anything else that you think we missed, uh, I think we're good to wrap this up and get to the episode and hope everybody actually comes away with something uh, really useful for this. There we go. Enjoy it, guys. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to yukanubasportingdog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt, or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another ugly dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us. Dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. All right, everybody. So we are back in North Carolina. I got Grayson with me. You all are familiar with, but we have Jay with Invictus K9. Jay, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself for everybody that's unfamiliar with who you are? Sure thing. Um, good to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. So Invictus K9, we uh, it's a organization. Most of what we do is uh, conservation work in Africa, running anti-poaching uh, operations. So we're training dogs and providing support to those dog units um, in six different countries. Uh, we've got seven programs going. Uh, about to put in our 39th dog in the next couple of months. Um, so that should be good. And uh, yeah, we've, you know, it's it's been it's been a bit of an epic journey but yeah the dogs are doing a good job guys doing a good job and uh hopefully we're making an impact yeah well you know i got excited um about a, a month or two ago i saw saw on facebook grayson was holding a tracking clinic and you know i've been to all kinds of different clinics and seminars here lately and uh but i haven't been to one specifically on tracking and my and my knowledge base really kind of stops after the uh, navda pheasant track portion so you know as soon as Grayson announced that I signed up and then I kind of found out what we we're actually going to be doing and then uh but Grayson you know kind of walk us through what the goal of this class and this seminar really was this weekend 
Yeah, uh, I had spent some time um, in a, in a former life sport tracking. Um, I've had friends that were involved in uh, in game recovery, uh, so they had basically done some blood trailing with their dogs, working, um, you know, kind of going down to the bait shop and hanging up a flyer with their, uh, you know, to, to to blood trail deer during the season. Yep. Um, and we worked like the 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 basic old stuff. That was what I was exposed to as a kid. We did we did drags. We you know we would do blood trails. We'd get livers, things like that. And then uh, I got to go work with Jay a little bit um, in Africa. Jay Jay has uh, an extensive background in man tracking, and and you know through the course of our working relationship i kind of understood i got to understand a little better just generally like kind of what the principles uh that that kind of um inform what we do uh in our tracking programs are so uh i thought um it'd be a good opportunity for us to get together it's been this year of covid you know jay hasn't had uh as much work in Africa. So there were opportunities for us to get together and kind of chat about what we might do in the States. If we did something talked about how everything we do in man tracking, uh, it could, could be applied to, to game tracking Yeah, and uh, decided to put this together. And this is really just a, a beta test for what we may do in the future. Yeah. And I think, I think it felt good. Um, you know things we could tighten up, but I was happy with how to, how the day went, and uh, and I think Jay obviously you know has plenty to offer and brings a lot to the table, and yeah, it's a unique perspective, for right? Sure. It's kind of like the prototype of your tracking clinic, so to speak, and uh, you know I, I told you before I came down and, and before we got started, I was really interested in this because us in the bird dog world and especially in the Navda game. We kind of come at this from a perspective, at least in my experience, a lot of people just kind of, they rely on the genetics of the dog, right? And so they pretty much just like, you go out there and your dogs figure it out or they don't. And I wanted a more in-depth, I figured there had to be something like we all do on everything else, whether it's steadiness, force fetch, whatever. There's got to be a foundation that we build off of. What are, you know, how do we start and then how do we actually build up to that actual point to where we're tracking big game, people, whatever it is. Tracking is tracking. People are big game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so I'm glad that that's what I got out of today, really, was a better understanding of the foundations that we build off of to get to that point to where you can confidently go put your dog down and know we are purposely tracking a specific target. And so, Jay, you know, walk us through, let's start at the very beginning, your procurement system. You know, what are you looking for in a dog other than just paperwork? Yes, I mean, paperwork is... Not even a priority for me. Uh, I'll go in uh, the kennel I use in Holland is uh, um, the Dutch Canine Center. And uh, Hank, who owns it, has been very good to me over the years. Uh, love the guy to bits. He's a good mate. Um, yeah, he's come out to Zambia and he's watched the dogs work. He's been on the ground. He's met the hands. He understands the cultural differences, the background of the handlers, why we do what we do. And, you know... It, Everything has a purpose and, you know, there's a method to the madness. But, you know, 
he he's I've never had a dog from him uh, that I regretted procuring. And uh, so day one, get there. I've got 60 dogs to pick two to four dogs from. And, uh, yeah, you know, obviously I'm looking for environmentals. I'm looking – I want to make sure that the dog's uh, working well. Uh, You know, it's a balanced animal. I don't want aggressive dogs. I don't want fearful dogs. I don't want anything like that. And I'll I'll just take them for a walk. Just walk them down a little, like, country road and see how they are with me. See, you know, are they interested in things? Are they curious? Are they looking around? If they are startled by something, do they recover well? Very, very basic, just – seeing what they're like on a leash. Yeah. Um, you know, do they come out the kennel confidently? Do they get back in the kennel confidently in the truck? Um, and then, yeah, I'll take them into a room and I do uh, a, a, like a, it's a search test. The dog's got to go and look for its toy. And uh, from there, if once they've passed that, uh, I'll do I'll do some environmentals in there where I simulate like a veterinary test. And I'm looking in their ears, you know, going over various different parts of their body and uh, making sure they're comfortable with all that and they're not turning yeah. on me. And and the reason is, is you know, I've got really inexperienced guys going to be working these dogs. And if that dog comes up the leash, they're not going to want to work with that dog ever again. So yeah. I've got to make sure that the dog is, uh, has got a good temperament. But and, and I'll put a bit of pressure on them to see how they react to it. Uh, and then if they do well with that, then I'll take them outside and uh, we'll go tracking. And I'll, I'll use, I'll do three tracks, um, you know, probably at the most 50 yards long. Uh, sometimes, most of the time it's less than that. And I just watch progression from the first to the last track. So, you know, I say three, sometimes four, sometimes five, depending on the animal. And uh, yeah, with that, I do a double A. So literally walk out, walk back. And uh, I place a toy at the end of it. They're all driven for their toy. They're all possessive. I'm going to slow you down here because this is – I noticed there was – you know, we had a handful of people here today, and this was really – you were talking about this this morning, and then we went and saw you apply it, and this was the foundations that went the rest of the day, and it it took actually seeing it to really make sense. So let's – I want to slow down and focus on this. So when you talk about there's three little tests here, you know, it's really – these are your like, this is your process of figuring out is a dog r- able to learn or train this type is he of trainable for tracking. Yes. Yeah, is yeah. it trainable for tracking? And so, is this just before we get into what those three things are? Is this why three? Is this just from years of experience from you, or like is that just you know a rule of thumb that you just? Yeah, it's just. I mean, I'm testing potentially sixty dogs, so. I don't have a lot of time, yeah. Um, so it comes down to efficiency of selection, and uh, yeah, I want to make sure. I, I mean, I'm confident that I can tell if a dog's, you know, going to be a suitable endurance tracker dog. So yeah. I think I should kind of like expand on that. I'm training dogs to do long distance tracking. I'm not training tracker dogs. I'm doing endurance tracker dogs. Yes. They are going to perform tracking for a significant period of time over a significant distance. And uh, it's important for me to select the right animal before I do that. So it's not like I'm just taking the first you know, 10 dogs that track well and, and you know, if they're too heavy, too big, not necessarily the right breed, uh, depending on the environment I'm going to deploy them into. Um, but those three tracks, I want to see a dog that one... Un- wants to track, so his nose is on the ground, uh, but I want to see progression between one, two, and three. And when I say progression, I want to see that the dog understands that those footprints on the ground that have been laid um, yeah. leads to the reward. So on the first one, I don't care if his 
you know, if if he isn't tracking, but I want nose down and he's like trying to find his toy. He knows his toy's on the ground somewhere. So mm-hmm. I want to see that nose going down. Uh, the wind's coming from behind, so he's not air scenting the toy, you know. And uh, yeah, and as I move along, I want to see him like smelling that disturbance and then maybe going into neutral areas and not, you know, he doesn't have to understand that that disturbance is what's leading him to the track. But then on the second one, I want to see a, a tighter track i want to see the dog kind of follow it and on the third one i want to see that nose down and he understands if i follow the smell it gets me to my toy and you know that sounds like the dog's already tracking and absolutely you know you can train that dog you know in a law enforcement program in the u.s where he could go on the streets and he would track bad guys down all day long no problem that's a a naturally you know it's a good tracker dog already um but i want that in a green animal i want that in a dog that's never had tracking before and I want to see that. When I see that, that's a huge indicator to me. If I've got good environmentals, good balance, good like search drive uh, from the room test, and then he's comfortable out around other animals and things, that I can get that dog to perform to a much higher standard in the twelve-week training program. So, so you're just looking for signs from the dog that he is he is improving and willing to learn, and you know. Act act like he's actually going to go track yeah. something. You know, the first one he has no idea what he's doing. The second one, okay, I kind of have some idea. Third one, it's like I'm going to go find that. Yeah. And does it change based on the dog's age? Does it matter whether it's a young pup or a three year old dog when you're assessing this? So I'll look at like so from that room search. You know, when they they basically run around a room and they check a bunch of cupboards and they're looking for their toy. Uh, in that and that assessment there i couldn't care less if that dog finds that toy in one minute or two hours it's i just want to see that he's independent and he doesn't quit and he's constantly engaged in the search using his nose and that's a high low find so he's he's checking you know low drawers high drawers jumping up on things putting his head in things going to like tight spaces jumping up on furniture um you know but but not frantically i want to see a calmness to the search and a dog that's actually going through the process that behavior there 100% is man made so they've they've that dog doesn't come out the the, the womb doing that you know that someone's taught him how to search for a toy in a room and i know hanks prepared the dogs to search that room but you can't prepare the dogs for the tracking um mm. i can do things in the tracking to make sure that that dog's oh i can i shouldn't say that you can obviously prepare the dog for tracking but um i can tell when that dog comes out with that progression 1 2 and 3 if he's had training or not because yeah. if he's had training it's going to be consistent if he hasn't you're going to see either he's terrible or he's going to improve more natural yeah exactly and like if if the dog is has like a frantic crazy search inside um i probably won't even take him to the tracking part of the assessment and i'll just bend him there and then yeah and i'm going to take the calmer dogs out and i, I want a dog that's thinking about what he's doing because that will apply in the tracking and, yeah. and you'll see it as the dog's learning through the tracking so I do those three tracks. That that's not all I do. I do other tracking assessments, but those three there typically is when I can decide if there's you know, I'm confident I could I could do those three and say I'll keep this dog or not keep this dog. Right. You know, from those three. I I will always have you know, I need to procure two dogs, for example. I always have five or six that track well on those three um three initial tracks. So then I then I then I advance the training and then I'm then I'm I'm getting into a bit more complex basic tracking where like I might put a 45 degree turn in or give the dog a different start. I mean, I put six dogs into Garumba and there was a German shepherd. I selected Perla and she definitely had tracker training. So I wanted to see 
in the assessment because she killed the assessment, the three. She was tracking beautifully. and, and She I mean, was beyond it. She was way moment. beyond that test. you know. So I was like, okay, this dog knows how to track. She's been trained to track and I want to know – how? What sport has it been or was it a hobby or, or what? What holes are in her training? So then I would take her and then try – not set up for failure, but I want to set her up to try and see, you know, will she fit our program? And she was a two-year-old German Shepherd, so a little bit on the on, on the older side for me, yeah. out, out of my comfort zone. But, you know, she was going to cut my training time down by six weeks because of where she was. Um, and I And I went out and I did – you know, a proper start, I casted her onto the start um, off track and then worked her onto the track and then she took the track and, and she, she she's a really nice dog and, and she tracks really well. So whoever, you know, p- trained her in the early stages or whatever, did a good job with her. Yeah. I just wanted to set her up to see, you know, you if had I could to do it. make an assessment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I was getting six dogs as well. So, right. you know, I was in a, not, not in a bind, but, I, you know, I needed to set myself up for because that 12-week training plan with six dogs is totally different to if yeah. it's two dogs. Um, so she was going to help free up some time during the day so I could do the younger dogs, you know, to kind of get through. So that was just like a, a, a business decision as well as, you know, making sure that she was good enough to do it. And she's, right. she's our best nighttime tracker dog. Nice. So we use her for the, the night operations. Well, and so to, to backtrack with the assessment, you, you said it a couple times on – each one of those steps is find the toy. Yeah. And the whole point of tracking anything is a target. You have to have something of value at the end of that track for that dog to actually go. Uh, Grayson, what, what what is Jay talking about a toy? Is he really talking about an actual toy for all dogs? Like, or, you know, what, explain the difference between the drive what's motivating these dogs to actually go track well what jay's talking about is being able to lay a kong at the end of a track and that being uh, enough uh, carrying the weight of enough reinforcement to get that dog to do the work he'll, he'll engage the dog at the end of the track with that toy but because of his procure, procurement protocol he's not going to take a dog that's not going to be satisfied by that is not going to be willing to work for that so you know I, you know we we may come to a day like this where we're working our dogs, that, yep. and and we've got versatile hunting dogs. Some of our dogs are a little maybe more uh, lean lean uh, in the direction of a bird dog or uh, something lacking the kind of ball drive Jay might be looking for right. in a dog. And so we have to come up with creative ways to to reinforce those dogs on track. Um, yeah, but when Jay takes a dog into country. Uh, it, it's going to work for uh, for l- low value prey reward, and it's yep. going to be excited about it. Uh, and it, and so we're looking at high. Well, that's the goal of high everything prey, that we're training, dogs. right? We want to train with the lowest level of reward that makes that that motivates that dog. Absolutely, right? we want to use the lowest. The, the lowest value reinforcer to get the, the greatest change in behavior. Exactly. Yeah. And and so for the listeners that listen to this, they, they're, they're asking themselves, well, what do I do? How do I find that correct tool, that drive for my dog? How do I find the right one for that dog? And we, we did that with some of the dogs here today. So, you know, describe to everybody how we find the right dog tool or drive to make sure that this dog is actually going to go for it. It's, you know, it's tough. I think, you know, with some of the dogs we brought out today, they were willing to engage with in, in what we would, what I would call ball drive. It's a 
bastardization of the word drive. Um, you know, but it means we're going to use an inanimate object by nature, right? So a ball, a toy, whatever, we'll fire the dog up over it and we can engage the dog over it and we can usually play a game of retrieve over it. And that's enough to, um, to be used as a, as a reinforcer to, to manipulate the behavior in any way we, we choose. Um, if we bring a dog out, they're willing to engage us, but maybe they're not obsessive enough. Right. What we want to see in our dogs, I mean, we're looking for a level of of obsessive compulsive. Uh, I gotta have disorder. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what we're looking for. I mean, yeah. it's that's what creates success in in most of us and most of our dogs. Right. Yep. And so, if if they're not willing, you know, maybe they're willing to engage us over it, but they're not willing to obsess over it. Then we we look at food. And some dogs will obsess over food. And if it's something tied to a survival mechanism, we can make them obsess over it eventually. You know, yeah. and so, you know, especially when, when we're in working dogs, I mean, we don't have, you know, when we're working on contracts that not only have to do with, you know, with business, but maybe lives or great stakes and high, uh, high risk situations, then we're, you know, we're, we're, the dogs are going to live their job the same way the handlers do. Yeah, and uh, um, if if they're not if they're not in the game for the for the toy, then odds are they're not going to make the team in the first place. Yeah. but uh, but it, we can manipulate their their desire for food. And, and ultimately, and it, to to make this work, you have to figure out what drives your dog. Yeah, I you, think for. Um, you know, for the listeners at home who, who want to get involved in it, there's a difference between training that dog, you know, to track and the dogs were trying to, you know, train up to, you know, a pretty significant level of tracking in Africa. So there's a, there's a schedule, there's a training plan, and it's a product that needs to be delivered to a customer. That's, that's what it comes yeah. down to, you know, and I've got 16 weeks to do it. So I need to have a training plan. I can't have four different dogs on four different rewards or food or whatever. It's it, I've got to be able to like progress through the training plan and get the dogs to a level of tracking in that 16 weeks where I leave the country and their dogs will start catching poachers. So you, so, don't, you don't have the luxury of like we do to where we have weeks and months to figure out yeah, what, so, what makes your dog tick. Yeah. You, you need that dog to respond to that Kong. Yeah, and and I like Grayson said, if I you know if I go to Holland and the dog isn't interested in his toy, um, I'm not going to even look at him. Yeah, because it just it, it it's going to affect my training plan far too great. I did uh, one program where I had a couple of pointy eared dogs and a couple of floppy eared dogs, and uh, <laughs> it was an airport, and uh, yeah, you know the two Mallies were back a house. They were just going to go and do all the cargo screening and all that kind of stuff. And in the floppy eared dogs, it was a, a pointer and a Vizsla. They were front of house, you know, around passengers. And, you know, culturally, people are scared of dogs in Africa generally, not not everybody, but, uh, you know, wanted like a, a more pleasant animal on front of house. And uh, they're like, no problem, we'll do that. But it, it actually had a bit of a, an impact on the training plan because I had, I basically had three breeds, you know, and the, the pointer and the Vizsla didn't train the same way. Um, so I had to adjust fire on all those training plans for the you know two two miles a pointer and a vizsla and uh i had to approach it three different ways and it just it had an impact especially on the handlers where you know one handler's got a vizsla and it's working totally different at a certain stage of training to what the mallies are doing who you know they were on on 
par with the training plan of what we're preaching. Yeah. Whereas if it is behind, and then the point is way ahead because you don't need to deal with indication because it picked it up in an hour. And yeah. the Mallies are like trying to bite through everything, and the and the Vizsla <laughs> wants to search everything instead of like stand still. So you, you you're adjusting fire. So what and I to would be, and to be fair, it could have been four miles or four Vizslas, and they all be completely different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. So it's it's not it's not just a, a pretty just specific thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it, obviously because we have these general you know attributes. Yeah. That that our breeds you know just um, happen to fit. Kind of <laughs> well, and I, I mean. Like, you know, like some of the programs, I've got males and shepherds. And, you know, I, I do think they're two different working style animals. But generally, the training plan sticks, uh, you know, goes along the same way because of the, the procurement testing idea. Yes. I'm getting the same kind of dog at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but for, like, you know, for the for listeners at home who want to, like, explore what they can get out of their dog, um, they're going to know their dog. They're going to yep. know, especially if you know they're coming from some kind of a working background where they hunt or whatever they may do with that animal. Um, you know what drives their dog. So if it's a dog that likes bumpers, yeah, use your bumper. If a dog likes frisbees, use a frisbee. If a dog likes food, use food. Um, and try everything. You, yeah. you, you got the time, so go out and do something. I think it's a great task, and it's it, it's very rewarding for the for the for the owner and the animal uh, to do it together. It's a, it's a good task uh, for them to learn. And we saw it today. We we saw dogs that responded to the Kong. We had a dog that needed the bumper. We had a dog that needed the food. Uh, you know, we saw a little bit of everything. So, you know, it, bottom line is figure out what you're going to use. You, you need to have something of high reward for these dogs. Yeah. And so, let's talk about you know the routine, as you call it. The, you know, this is the average person trying to figure out how I'm going to get my dog track at home. So what do we need besides the toy, besides the drive? What do we, what else do we need to, to get these dogs tracking? What gear and, and why is it important? Um, yeah, and obviously everybody has their opinion on what the right gear is, and uh, there's probably oh, we don't need brand names. Just. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm like, you know, I mean, Grace and I will, we'll sit here and talk about harness or no harness and collar, yes. you know, under the under the leg, over the head, or whatever. And Go with the average it, person in mind. I, so I tell you what I use and why I use it, and yep. um, I like a harness. I think it gives the dog head movement. It allows the dog's head to move and investigate more freely because he's not attached to the collar. Have I trained dogs on a collar? Absolutely. So harness is a good good uh, uniform for a dog. When you put that harness on, it's a signal to the dog, in, in, especially in the training stages, that, okay, it's tracking time. They associate the harness with tracking. Um, and you can do that. And for the type of tracking I'm doing, I want a high-speed moving animal. Uh, so it's it's not like I can use the collar, but but because they're moving, they're more likely to like have some restriction on their throat. Yeah. Um, so it obviously interferes with the airway. Um, harness is good. Um, I put it on before the start. And then we've got this tracking ritual. And, uh, you know, it's the same behavior every single time. And I think it applies to everything, whether yeah. we're doing bomb dogs, tracker dogs, knock dogs, going through a sequence with a patrol dog, doing bite work, whatever. It's, uh, you know, the tracking ritual is is more information to communicate with the dog. Hey, I put your harness on. Remember the tracking stuff we do? Now the ritual <laughs> is, hey, this is reinforcing the tracking stuff we're about to do. Yeah. And then they can start. And they're in a, in a better place mentally. And it's important to start in the beginning um, with that ritual. Just it creates that habit in the dog and then they, they get a lot they switch on to the tracking better. The start of the track for me is the most important part of the track. If you have a weak start, your dog 
will not have a good track. Um, so the stronger the start, the more likely you'll be successful okay. with, with finishing that track. Um, and, you know, pe- pe- like when I was in the army, guys used to tell me that and like my instructors and I'd be like, whatever, the dog nailed the start. But we were doing pattern tracks of 100 yards, you know, with a couple of turns in it. And uh, you'd have your weak start, but the dog would go through the process of doing it. But, um, you know, when you're doing, you know, something significant and you 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 know, call it a mile, then, you know, for that dog to successfully track, you know, scent over a, a mile in, you know, various conditions, various environments, uh, changing air movements, you know, all the things that like come in and make it complicated. Uh, if you if you lock that dog into the start of that track of what he's supposed to track and he understands I've got to follow this, yeah, he's going to be more successful. Whereas if you casually let him take the track and he starts tracking loosely on it, then that that behavior isn't like it isn't locked in as much. You know, it's a bit more blurry for the dog. It's not as black yeah. as white as you'd want it to be. And uh, yeah, I think. Um, I use flags, just marking flags. That's that's a handy piece of equipment, and I, I spread them out. I don't put them on every footprint or anything like that. And it's more as a, just a visual indicator to the handler of where the track is. And it gives it, if you start getting into that one mile long track and you're going through the woods where everything looks the same, you know, you come across that orange flag on a like. A, so I, you know, I have known tracks, blind tracks, and then I have semi-blind tracks. And that's where you know flight direction and you know there's flags along the way. Yeah. So you're tracking in between flags, so to speak. And, when and the you flag mark, gives what, you the confidence. And when you're talking marking flags, we're we're just talking surveyor flags. Yeah, you exactly. Go to Home Depot, it's a hundred for ten bucks. Yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah. So they're real cheap and, and you're you know, you're not talking about like if you're on an actual deer track, are you like you know, I know when you're laying a track in training s- sessions, I saw you today, you know, you're 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 hitting the flag every so often, every time you change direction or, or whatever. But when you're on a deer track, like an actual live track or poacher track, are you setting those flags no, up to no know flag. that? Yeah. I'm talking purely from a training perspective. Yeah. So, so there's just an indicator. You're not gaining anything by setting it up. That way you can look behind you and you know where you came from, right? No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, luckily they invented GPS. Okay. Um, so, no, no, no. It's just it's purely for training um, so, as a visual Gotcha. guide and it's a confidence booster for handlers when they start doing their blind tracks yeah there you go so that's what that's why i like it you know so um i mean my my the handlers i work with in africa are very good visual trackers so they see the footprints it gives them confidence you know but if i sometimes the environment doesn't allow for you to see those footprints so if you put that flag out um they come over the go through a saddle and a ridge line or something like that and on the other side they'll see a flag it, they know they're on track and it gives them a bit of confidence. It gives the dog a bit of confidence, and it just it fuels a good the positive energy in the I, team. I, I want I want you to touch on that a little bit more. The confidence, you, you know, it's like we talked about it. We talk about it all the time. The dogs pick up on our mannerisms. They know when you're confident and when you're not. And especially like in something like this, it, it's kind of like that check cord or that long leash. It's kind of like a telephone cord. That dog knows when you're confident, right? Yeah. And so. Go back to the start. The start is the most important thing. How are you sending this dog off with confidence? You know, like, we don't know for sure what that dog is smelling. How do I, as a handler, send this dog off with confidence? You know, tell me about the process. Are you, you know, uh, uh, me and Grayson were talking in NAVDA. There's a lot of people that they get down and they, you know, track, 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 and they're they're hitting the ground in front of the dog. You know, what what do you suggest is the correct way to send off the dog? Can you mind if I interject? Yeah, for, go like, for it. Quick second. So if you watch, Jay and I have done this a few times together. And if you and if you watch 
one of us lay a track for the other and the other handle. If you watch what's going on, most times Jay's going to have his harness on a dog. Uh, I'll be laying the track and I'll be enticing and I'm trying to build drive. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of the harness is that we create opposition reflex. And so whatever's in front of the dog is gaining value. Yes. Right? Because we, by frustrating the dog, by holding them back, we make them want it more. And that's why harnesses with young dogs isn't always advisable, right? It depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And, yeah. and so for me personally, like I, if we're talking bird dogs, I want them to want, if they're a young dog, want it, want it, want it. I want you to drag me into it. I'm never restraining you. Right? So there's a difference between restraint to add value to the thing in front of you and restraint because I want to restrain you from the thing in front of you. Okay. And it's something that we we screw up so much in bird dogs. If you see me restraining a dog that's pulling forward, 100% of that time, I'm adding value to the thing in front of it. If it's got a slack lead on it and it's watching the thing in front of it, then I'm trying to diminish the value in front of it. Right? And so when Jay and I work together and I and I pull away and I run away and I'm teasing the dog with a toy and Jay's restraining that dog on that on that back tie and acting as a post, then it's creating value in me. It's like you're you're pulling that slingshot back. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, we're saying, we're saying hey gone. man, that thing that's getting away from you, you should be frustrated and you should want it more yeah. now. And and when I allow you to move forward, I'm reinforcing your desire to move mm-hmm. forward and to make this track. And so that I mean, from the from a a fundamental standpoint, that's what we're we're accomplishing. The, the tracking, whether if if the wind's at my back, I'm tracking. If the wind's in my face, I'm air sending. Those are that's what the dog does by nature. Yeah. What we do is we manipulate the reinforcer and and the environment. Right. And, yep. and, and that's, that's our job as trainers. And so, um, you know, when Jay talks about being on the track and getting the feedback through the line on the track and feeling the subtlety, you know, and being able to, to add a little bit of tactile stimulation to the dog on track, that's all manipulating back pressure. Yeah. Um, so and, we're, we're definitely getting to that because we got to, right now we got to send off though. So like, sure. So I, I definitely want to get to the point to where what you're doing with the dog while it's on a track, what Grayson was just talking about. But let's let's go back to the send off. So it's a release. Yeah, it, it, it it's a it's a release. So what Grayson just described, he he laid the track in front of you, it, especially in the beginning. You know, you're letting the dog watch it. He's creating stem. You're creating that slingshot. Walk us through as you're the handler. Are you literally just saying, okay, go find it? Are you hitting the ground? What are you doing? No, I just, I mean, so the dog's, you know, got some kind of visual stimulation of, you know, something's out there, my toy's out there. And, uh, yeah, the dog comes, you know, track layer comes back to me, shows the dog he has nothing, empty hands, whatever. And it's a a routine that becomes second nature to the dog. And uh, I just, you know, I I mean, I literally open the palm of my hand and, point in front of the dog and just tell them to track and then they start looking for their toy and uh, their nose goes down and there's momentum and they, they're pulling in the harness to, to get to their reward and uh, you know the, the, the better the momentum then, then I so the better the pull the more momentum they have and I, I allow them to pull me faster yeah. and I'm not saying fast but they're, they're, I increase my pace according to the dog's effort and uh, tracking effort, not just pulling effort. Like I don't, you know, head up and I'm looking at the 
the clouds running along is not tracking. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I and I get that. We'll do that a few times and reinforce it, and then I'll go to a single lay where you go. Our toy goes down and uh, come back on a different path, and then you start tracking. But the casting the dog, as in making them look for the track, you, you do that enough times, they learn the this this track leads me to my reward. You yeah. ta- but then but you start putting turns in and stuff like that. They'll they hit the turn. And there's then there's an anxiety I think is maybe not the right word but there's a there's a there's a the panic sets in because now there's no track and no reward <laughs> so they start looking for it again yes so then they, then you put them on that 45 degree say right turn and you cast them in and then they hit the track again and they take it and they find their toy they learn when I find the track I get to my toy and you, yeah. you reinforce that a few and times and it alleviates that anxiety yeah at exactly the same time, which is reinforcing yes. yeah exactly and, so, and, and I think this is the hardest part just from watching watching everybody today and then i got to handle your dog on a track a, a short track today i think this is the hardest part for the average handler to pick up on is is when to let loose of the not let loose but let them take the cord out and when to you know keep it taut and hold your ground so for example when when i'm tracking your dog today we're going we're going and it was a straight line it was typical you know he's working it working it working it well then when i took off you know took to the left he overshot where i turned and you told me just stop keep keep the tension on the rope and he's gonna figure it out and the dogs that were just starting out earlier today they freaked out they they got really anxious they didn't know where it was and they came straight back to where they last saw the track but your dog instead of coming straight back already knew it just started casting to the left it, it, it just did a wide cast and got back on the track so it's like it was doing like a circle thing so that was really telling to me is just like you saw the beginning dogs immediately freak out and went right back to the last point they saw it and then the other one the more experienced one slightly just kind of circled until he came into it again and then continued on yeah so this is like he learned how to operate in that high anxiety mode to where the new dogs are figuring it out. Yeah. And and with him it's no the anxiety's gone. The panics you know, and, and, and I say that anxiety is probably it's literally the worst word in the world world to use. I don't know why I even said that. But but he when the first time they experience it, the first five times, then there's a panic because it's like I don't know where it's gone. The smell's gone. It's disappeared. Can't find it. And and they don't they don't look for it. So they look to the handler for help. And you can guide them, and you can point them in the right direction and get them back on it. A cast doesn't have to be that that beautiful like arc that the dog yeah. does in front of you. It could literally just be check here, and the dog kind of like snaps in front of you and, and takes a track again. That's fine. But um, self discovery. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And uh, yeah, for you know, for me, like. The 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 phase before that, from what you saw today, I use um, like a hedge line or something. So I'll bring the dog to an area where there is no track. You know, the track's been laid and it's it's left to right in front of me, hypothetically, and uh, and I know it, it goes down to the right. So I bring the dog. He's facing the track, ninety degrees uh, towards it, and I send him out. But he's going to sniff the ground. But there's no track there. And I'm about twenty yards away, and uh, he's going to start searching for the track but there's no scent there. There's no disturbance. There's no nothing. Mm-hmm. No one's walked there or nothing's walked there. So he, there's nothing for him to like identify as information that's going to get him to his reward. And and then I then I, I will keep casting him and until he gets to that hedge line. So he's going to hit it at that 90 degrees, but he can't go beyond the track because he's got a, 
a barrier in front of him. So he can only go left or right. And, you know, they typically are going to go with the track and, uh, you know, he goes with the right and that's where I get that little bit of tension on my leash. And, and I'm talking like a tiny bit. I, I don't want to pull him off track. I want to reward him with momentum and the effort to find the track. And then he takes a track and he starts moving down it and gets his reward shortly afterwards. So that's working on a start. So yeah. that's, a, that's like the but hardest they, start is a 90-degree start. They do. And then all those starts yep. where he's, you know, where Jay, when you watch Jay run a 45 or a 90 on a start, it's, it's reinforcing all the things that are happening deep into the track. So mm. when I was in Namibia, especially, we, I was working with, with another one of Jay's employees and we were every day working through these starts. And what you see is the dog hey, loses a track, you know, 300 meters into the track. And it's it's just a new start. The dog learns to recast themselves. Yeah. And what they do is they under they begin to understand that their cast initiates the track. They initiate the the thing that that intrinsic reinforcement of hitting that track, getting their momentum. It's it's a beautiful thing to see when they cross track, get a head whip and land on track, and you give them the lead, and that happens not you know from the time you begin to show them those 90s into a tree line, then all of a sudden when they lose the track, they begin to gain confidence that they can pick it back up again. Yep. They know how to catch a track again. Just controlling the outcome. Yeah. You're just making sure that that dog can be successful. And yeah, once the dog's competent at it, then you can move away from the tree line and he doesn't have a barrier and he'll go over the track and you'll, you know, some dogs are three, three cast dog. And they'll cast several times over that track and, you know, people panic about that because he's not tracking. He's not finding the track. That dog is basically identifying the difference between disturbed ground and non-disturbed ground. And depending on the conditions and what his experience is and, and what he's been doing, that may take a few, yeah. you know, kind of like casts to for him to adjust. I mean, it's no different to going to a range and shooting a rifle for the first time. Zero, You're not going to – yeah, exactly. And the process he, of elimination. He's He's got to become comfortable with what it is. And – that's where the mistake comes in because people want the dog to track. They see a head check, so they go with it, but that dog's not locked into it. Yeah. Whereas if you, you know, you test the dog and his head comes up and you know gives you that negative, then you can move away and then you bring him back on and cast again, yeah. and that's when you see a stronger lock and you're going to have a way better track from adding one cast in the beginning of it. And and so when you're talking about the subtle cues of the dog, you know, pulling on the cord, but really the bulk of the people that listen to this podcast are bird dog owners. So that head check, you're talking about the same thing as picture a dog, you know, going in the wind, going in the field and a crosswind comes and that dog just snaps its head back to it. You know, all these bird dog guys can relate to that. That's what you're talking about is a head check. And it can be that. And what you call it is just change of behavior. Yeah. It's a, the COB of the dog. And this is where getting to know your dog really matters because like you said you need to make sure that that dog is on the track before you reward that dog with the momentum yeah so when i like you know the early stages i'm i've got the dog on track and he's going to go straight onto it so i don't mm -hmm. worry about the start i just worry about him tracking and the behavior of tracking and reinforcing that so he understands the smell gets to it um but the, see, there's no real like kind of like subtle behavior changes or anything like that. But when you start getting onto the 45s and the 90s, 
you know, it's it's just a little head check. It, it, it could be more significant. It could be a lot less. It just depends on the dog. You know, we've got some dogs that are 100% going to cast one time and they hit the track and they nail it and they do it every single time. And then I've got um, one dog in Kenya, Aya. Man, I love that dog. She's one of the best tracking dogs we have. She, I mean, that dog is a machine when it comes to tracking. And uh, yeah, she, I mean, but she's a three-cast dog. If you go two casts, you're gonna, you're not gonna. Well, you will get to the end, but it's gonna take you a lot longer <laughs> than if you give her that third cast. I mean, you really have to kind of pull her off the track on the second one to cast her onto the third, and then then she really wants it on that third one. If you pull her off on this, and I'm, when I say pulling her off, I don't mean like, you know, you're like, you're not kicking her off her a track. Off yeah, it's yeah. you know, it's just she's not as convinced that that's what she should follow. And but she but she can smell the human scent or whatever it is you yeah. know and then you go you take her away from it and you bring her back and she's like no this is it I want it and then you see that drive and that momentum and that pull in the harness and she leans into it and you, and you feel the tension in your fingertips and and you, it's just there's 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 a feeling in it there's an energy and there's it's like she's gone from you know fourth gear into third gear and she's like put her foot down and it's like it's up. time to go now <laughs> you know hurry up it's and, very it's it's very uh, I think similar. So we've talked in the past. I train primarily in the West Gibbon system, mm-hmm. and uh, you know if I bring a dog in, you know first week, for second week, third week of bird work, and I'm teaching a dog maybe to stop and stand on a on a bird flushing from downwind of the dog, and then I'm coming back to working a dog across a scent cone of a bird. Maybe the first time that that dog acknowledges that it's crossed the scent cone, I flush a bird. Yeah, right. And and I'm, that's the process. So I'm showing like, hey, like I have to assume you're you're soft right now because you don't understand. Yes. But what I want to create is a hardness in your bird work that that shows me that you have certainty that you understand what's the going commitment, on. Commitment. That's right. And what yeah. and the same same thing with. You know, when Jay walks a dog across across a track, there's a commitment to that track. Yeah. You know when that dog has committed to that track. You know, and, yeah. and sometimes maybe you need to show them a couple of times and you're closing doors when you step across. I, I really enjoyed that analogy today. When you step across your initial cast, there's nothing over here. It's a process of elimination. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. You step back across. You cleared that room, cleared that room. This is the room. Then boom, here you yeah. go. And you're confident. This this is what you're working right. on. So, you know, you primarily deal with tracking humans, right? But tracking is tracking. It's just figuring out how to aim the dog, essentially. Uh, for us, they're primarily going to be tracking big game animals. Maybe there's some people out there that do a little search and rescue, tracking humans or article of clothing, you know, all that stuff. When do you start overlaying with blood scent or other tools, articles of clothing? Like, when do you start overlaying that with sending the dog? You know, how does that play into it? I think for me, it's going to be that kind of like timeline dictated by the dog's understanding of tracking so if you're seeing learning taking place and you're seeing that the dog understands tracking and the concept of tracking uh, and there's progression with that and and you know it's becoming more sophisticated in its work then uh yeah then you can add it in and i mean today 
you know, the Rotty, I forget the dog's name, it was a Rottweiler. Uh, I'm definitely not a fan of Rottweilers. Uh, <laughs> don't get me wrong. And the thought of one as a tracker dog horrifies me. <laughs> but that dog, you know, we did blood sport with that dog today. And, uh, you know, she- Very she soft well. on yeah. every- very, You know, and that was the thing. So I mean, how, much, how many dogs, and you had to see a few, mm-hmm. work for maybe, work for the ball, work on- on very barren ground, um, you know, with the wind at their back, working low odor and beginning to track hard, those dogs look really good prior. And yeah. then I put blood spore on the ground and every dog looked like it had been tracking its entire yes. life. Right? And so that the idea, in my opinion, is that, like when I say humans are big game, it doesn't matter. What I, wanted, what I want you to understand is you follow odor, you look, you search for odor, and, and the odor that's going to uh, that's going to cross species is going to be disturbed earth and volatile organic compounds, right? So it's going to be, I kick up dust, I step in the mud on a wet day, blade of grass, yep, I break a blade of grass. Yeah. These are the smells that will, regardless of whether you're tracking a deer or you're tracking a man or you're tracking a pheasant, it doesn't matter. This is the thing that exists. And if that's the thing that you can hone in on first, then we have accessory odors that we will introduce you to. So in in my opinion, you know, and why I think there's value for uh, f- for the hunting dog enthusiast in what Jay has to offer is that tracking's tracking. Yes. And we will add our blood spore. You know, we will show you whatever game you're looking for. And and nothing is ever going to take the place of tracking a wounded deer. Yeah. But what we can do is show you how to be a tracking dog. Yes. And by the time you begin to understand what it's like to track a wounded deer, you're going to be so dialed in uh, that, in my opinion, you'll and, be trustworthy. And, and it kind of goes to the old, you know, we say it all the time, train hard, test easy mentality, right? Yep. Because to your point today, the dogs – that you know they went from very beginner to it's just like okay I think I'm catching on to you put the blood down and they're like okay I'm tracking that blood and that was with diluted blood you just you know you had some blood and you mix that with some distilled water it was watered down it's it about wasn't three even, ounces of three ounces of blood in about uh, a gallon and a half of water right and so that's watered down so. If you can train these dogs with just foot scent and the organic compounds like you're talking about, disturbed earth and all of that, whenever you get to the point of needing blood or using blood, then that should be easy for them. It's too easy. It's, it's too, too easy. easy. If, we're, if we start training drags, we're handicapping our dog, in my opinion. I, I want my dog to learn how to track. Bef, bef, I want it to become a master of low odor before I introduce it to the easy part. You know, yeah. I think it's and not every, not every animal that's, you know, that you're, you're going after is going to be like leaving big blood, lots of blood. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you got to think yep. worst case scenario. They're not certainly not going to be dragging their hide on the ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's not like a snail trail. on the ground. Um, <laughs> so um, I think you have to, you know, take that like exactly what, Grace is saying you got to take that into consideration. Like, well, I mean, if you're a deer hunter, you ultimately 
don't want to need a tracking dog. For sure. Right? For well, sure. And you yeah. hope it, and you so, hope if you do, it's it, a hundred yard right. track and it's a the bloodiest thing you ever exactly. saw in your life. Yeah. But you know, if it's the bloodiest track you've ever seen, you don't need a tracking dog. Sure, so sure. we're needing tracking dogs in the worst case scenarios sure. that's as when, deer hunters. Yeah. That's and right. And so that like you were talking about earlier, you, you know, you may just hit the wrong part of the body and maybe that it takes forever for that deer to expire or you know whatever you know the point is is if there's a lot of blood on the ground you may not need a tracking dog so it's like what why do we train dogs to go based off of a bunch of blood on the ground that that yeah i mean that's my point i think blood you know blood's an important part of the the scent picture yeah it's 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 a it's a part that's easy the hard part truly is is working disturbed earth and volatile organic compounds. You have to work to find it because they're everywhere in nature. Yeah. Right? If I'm in the woods, you know, we, we've talked about this before, I and mean, there's certain things we obviously know that we don't know. If I stick a deer, you know, is there an adrenal dump? Mm-hmm. You know, is there a tarsal gland that it, on this particular deer that I've that I've stuck that differentiates it from the others. Yeah. And I think we know anecdotally that that's true based on, well, you know, like our friend Mike tracking individual Impala that have been I darted about, I was in about the woods, to bring right? that up, you know, yeah. use that as an example and explain sure. to just how subtle the change in the, in the target can lead these dogs to that. And, and our dogs are going to, they're, they're going to outclass us as handlers eventually. They're going to understand what they're tracking, and we're not, and we're just along for the ride. Right, yeah. But we, they get there through repetition on the basics, on yeah. disturbed earth and VOCs. And it's that, that uh, great expression that I shared earlier, that less is more. You know, you, you, you're going to get way more out of your dog if you, you give it a harder track picture to successfully follow by controlling the outcome. And so when it comes to the real thing, it's always going to be simpler, um, you know, but just like off subject a little bit, the, uh, that, that dog of Mikey's, you know, he, he, he tracks an Impala that's been darted in a herd of an Impala. Um, they pretty much flight out of the area together. And, uh, obviously it separates, you know, from the, the rest of the herd, but, um, that dog, that dog's pretty much successful every single time. But it's not just Timpala. It does zebra? Does you know buffalo? Does whatever you know? You and, pick an animal. And this is a a, a Weimaraner, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And it's so for veterinary reasons, whatever. They're trying to dart an animal. They shoot it out of an entire herd of animals, the yeah. same animal. Yeah. And that dog picks up yeah. on that specific animal that was darted. Yeah. And tracks it for the vet or whoever's yep. needing to capture it for whatever reason yeah yep. and, shout out to mikey hensman and shimmer yeah <laughs> no absolutely and uh no that's it's a it's a he's a phenomenal dog and he's, he's he's done a great job getting him there the cool thing about that dog is he will track man just as happily as he does an impala that's been darted so you know it's it's a you know I'm not, I'm not like Mike's gonna listen to this and be like screw you Jay because I'm not a like a big Vimerana fan and uh, he knows that I pick on him about it but um, his dog is a particularly you know it's a wonderful dog and uh, but but he, and he's versatile he hunts with him he that dog retrieves uh, that dog you know does pretty much everything Mike asked him to do including collect a, 
a beer can from the fridge from. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I just, you know, like the, the, I, I know people in, I guess the law enforcement industry, uh, military working dog industry that would say, if you train a dog to hunt, uh, to track deer, you can't train it to track people, you know, cause you don't know what it's tracking. And I, I completely disagree with that. You know, the dog understands what it's doing according to the environment it's working and how you're, you know, preparing yourself for a job. You could take a German shepherd that is trained to track bad guys and teach it to go and find a, a wounded deer. Um, because you know you're standing there a lot more casually at the start of your track versus going after a bad guy where you're tooled up getting ready to get into a gunfight at the end of the track. You know there's there's behavior differences in the handle that signal to the dog what's what type of a track it is or you know where they're going to go and, and I think the dog understand that the concept yeah. of what they're doing. Um, and and like Grayson said earlier, uh, tracking's tracking. It doesn't matter yeah. what you know. You, you just you're giving the dog the cues, uh, the indication, the ritual, whatever, and he understands I've got to go and track what dad wants me to go and track or what mum wants me to go and track. And uh, they'll, they do it happily. They want to, they enjoy it. It's what they do. You cut them loose in the yard and they're running around. They're tracking something out there. They're finding out where that squirrel ran to and where it came <laughs> from. I mean, they, they are literally doing it all the time. And there's yep. there's and, some, yeah, there's some badass blood trailing dogs out there. That ex- like, if you look at the United Blood Trailers, United Blood Trackers group, I mean, they, 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 They've produced a system that works. Um, is none none of this is new. What a, what I appreciate coming into the blood trailing space from the man tracking space is is the risk versus the reward. And so I believe that when you look at you know say a cop that's tracking a suspect, an armed suspect into the woods, is it? There's a it's a different game, yeah, than tracking your buddy's dough. You know, <laughs> the freezer queen's not about yeah, to hit you. Start you, week, you know, you know what right? I mean? Like, so, so, and I'm not, and I'm not picking on on folks that from a uh, that that come from that tradition of training. I'm just saying that there's a there's an inherent risk that comes from working in the man tracking space. Yeah. You know, especially with what Jay does in, in Africa with, with the anti-poaching game. Like if you go to Kenya, the Somalis, they come down into that space. They're, they're bad guys. Yeah. And they're dangerous. And, um, you, you are working with the knowledge that you are in danger. And I think it makes you appreciate your craft in a different way. And that's just the target. And there's all kinds of other dangers in Africa that they have to work with. And uh, but speaking of making the tracks harder, there, there's a couple things I want I want your perspective on is the uh, how old the track is, and also the difficulty in terms of accessory smells and scents that you know maybe distractions for another word so uh for example like you were talking about your you know maybe a police officer is chasing a a particular person and it goes into a crowded store or something you know you're talking about a dog going through a store uh the other day in colorado right so like how does that change is how old the track is and also across different types of terrain with a bunch of other distractions in the area yeah so I mean, you you can make anything hard, really. Um, yeah. So for 
like for me, uh, you know, distance is always going to be a problem. Uh, like for the type of work I'm doing, I've I've got to make sure that the poachers are going to walk sixty kilometers to shoot a rhino. Um, we've got poachers that come through our space. It's a hundred and twenty kilometer one way trip, mm. and they're bringing goods in, uh, supplies in, and taking ivory out. Um, and they're walking through uh, four countries to do that, just so they can stay ahead of us. So because we can't cross a border, mm. so. Um, distance is a big part of that. Um, when it comes to age, uh, for me personally, um, I say six hours, and that's it's actually irrelevant what what the time frame is because we can do much older than that. Uh, most of the time, it's a lot less than that. Uh, so, you know, depending so on the time. when you but say six hours, what do you mean? It's a six hour old track, okay. and the reason is if that guy's six hours ahead of me. He's probably out the park and sold the goods and moved on. And okay, so, him. so in terms of training, you don't go too much past six hours. So I, I, Max, I'll train is six hours, but we we have done older. Okay, and the six hours is for a decision maker who's you know looking at a proposal for a dog program, and he he wants to know how old is a track. Yeah, you know because heat, you know, or temperature, time. Uh, the type of track, you know, the person laying the track is all that's going to like affect the scent availability for the dog for him to successfully follow it. Um, you know, when you when you're talking about targets, you know, whether it's a deer or so if you're tracking a deer and it runs through, you know, a herd of wounded deer. Okay, now you're making things a lot more complicated for the dog. Yeah, <laughs> same for for persons running a track out of a national park, and I runs into a community, and runs through the school. Yeah, yeah. Okay, things are going to change up. Absolutely, the dog can identify that person from the other people, but there's a lot more processing required from the dog to stay on track and follow that person successfully, and that comes down to to experience and practice. You know, so yeah, you, you have to reinforce it over and over and over. Um, terrain uh you know i used to be the guy that would say you know hard surface tracking is is the hardest thing you can do and i, I think tracking is tracking regardless of the surface you know the dog the dog will track on what it's trained to track on so if you train on asphalt he will track on asphalt if you train in grass he will track on grass if you train from grass to asphalt he will train he will track from grass to asphalt it's just it comes down to exposure and training i'm i'm a i'm big into like behavior you know we were joking the other day uh, the other couple of hours ago about having the pointers and holding the tail up and everything <laughs> dude i'm 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 a little bit that guy when it comes to tracking behavior i want to see that nose down the shoulders forward tail up in the air like there's a confidence in the tracking and i want to see that dog looking like he's tracking so i i spend a lot of time reinforcing that behavior with nose down Nine times out of ten, we're tracking that dog's nose is kind of like halfway between the ground and the air. I mean, that ground surface is really hot yeah. during the day in in Africa, and uh, if they sniff in the ground surface, that temperature is just I mean, that heat's going into their lungs, you know, and it's just cooking them from the inside. So they won't even track like that operationally. But when but I like to shape the behavior of that nose down to get the clean behavior, so I can set the dog up for success, and it's it's just a cleaner behavior. So. Yeah, I mean, when they go from the grass onto asphalt, um, their nose is already on the ground and they, and they work and they understand tracking. Um, I did a, a dog, um, did absolutely no hard surface tracking whatsoever. We we just we tried it out to see what he would do. The, the having the confidence that the understanding that the dog can track is also 
pretty important uh, to allow the dog to not be on track. As in when I say that, it's not be on the footprints. So if I lay footprints down the white line in the middle of the road, mm. the dog might track on the side of the road because that's where the scent has been caught up in the weeds and the grass and whatever's on the side, trash, curb, you name it. So, you know, the dog may be, you know, a whole kind of road to the left of track but it's running parallel 100 percent on yeah. track like i i'm not even worried about that you know and if that was you know uh a runway you know where, where you had a, a huge area on either side of you same thing i would i wouldn't expect the dog to be right smack bang on the on the footprints and and no different if he's tracking through a grassy field or a muddy field or wherever the example is but um or game yeah exactly yeah it doesn't have to be on the footprints Gotcha. So as far as distractions, you know, the accessory smells, scents, do you purposely add stuff to training scenarios to make sure that the dog avoids them and stays on the correct scent? You know, how do, how do you train for that? Is it just like anything else you create distractions? Yeah. So if I, if I think that the dog is distracted by something, then I will control the outcome and set the track up in a in an area where I know the distractor is. Um, you know, let's just say I've got a a dog that's become birdie. Uh, you know, I'll lay a track, you know, along the side of a chicken farm or whatever. And uh, I'll use multiple rewards. You know, correct the dog from being distracted. But when he's engaged in his track, he gets momentum. He applies effort, but he gets his, his toy. You know, I'll use toys along the track, but it could be food or whatever, whatever you're rewarding your dog with. Um, even throwing a toy over the dog's head. I hate doing it because I think it can be misused and be, people become reliant on that. I like to put the toy on the track and then you, you 100% know the dog is on track when he gets his toy and he keeps his nose down. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, you know, rewarding the dog for doing the right thing in that situation, and not the, you know, and then correcting them for doing the wrong thing, and making this black and white as possible. Yeah. Even though it may be a thing that instinctively or intrinsically has uh, a reinforcing value, right? So we'll either not reinforce it to the point that it that it loses value, or we'll, we'll have to punish that until we you know until we equal that out yeah so you know i mean if it's a bird and it's a bird dog sometimes they're they're going to give it a give it a go but if yeah. we're man tracking we're not we're not hunting birds well and i mean it's one of those things you know we we already spoke to a weimariner you mentioned a vishla earlier at the, at the airport i think it was mm-hmm. uh but you also you use you said earlier that you have a couple gsps yeah. overseas too right yeah. so it's like you use these bird dogs and versatile dogs but like whereas a lot of <laughs> most of 99% of our episodes and information is making sure that dog stays on birds you're the opposite you need to make sure that like, hey ignore the birds we're focusing on man right now yeah and, I mean well that's the point to, to the to the Wes Gibbons thing is yeah. that, that, I mean this is a hundred percent what he's doing with these dogs. And, you know, for us, versatility is always a compromise. You know, you can't, you can't have it all without sacrificing. Well, some of it. Right? And, and I'm curious as to this, just to go back to the breed thing, you know, I know we've already covered it that you can really do this with any breed, but you know, somebody out there is probably asking like, well, instead of taking a GSP that, you know, maybe has a bunch of bird drive and you have to, to reinforce that or punish it 
why not just get a dog that maybe doesn't have that in, in its genetics? You know, one thing that I, stood out to me that we we've spoken about a lot of breeds out here today. We had a Catahoula out here, so that's kind of in the hound realm. But where are the hounds? We didn't speak about anything on the hounds, bloodhounds or coon hounds or anything like that. Where do you stand on that? That whereas you're fighting the bird drive and the GSPs, you know, why is a hound maybe not come up in conversation a little bit more? And that's just my personal curiosity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't have any bloodhound experience besides maybe four tracks in my entire life. So, uh, I'm not a fan of the breed for the work that I do because of the environments I'm operating in. Um, so they just, they don't, they don't fit well in Africa. They're too big, too heavy, um, lots of veterinary issues, lots of skin issues. Um, they become costly from a veterinary perspective and high maintenance. So yeah, it's just, it's not something that now there are people using bloodhounds in Africa. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't quantify their success or anything like that. So, but for me personally, you know, I, I'm looking at a dog that does tracking and detection. You can't do that with a bloodhound. Okay, so you get tracking out of it, that's it. So I don't just train tracker dogs. All my dogs do both. They track and detect. Um, and they'll detect ivory, um, rhino horn, bushmeat, pangolin, weapons and ammunition. Um, well, so track on lead. What's that? We track on lead. Like he's yep. a dog trainer. And yep. uh, hounds, are, hounds are really, really keen with their noses, but they're not what you would consider like a biddable training dog. Yeah. You know, so as, as far as like a man tracking team, um, handler dog, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's not, in my opinion, a viable option. It's, yeah. I mean, if you're going to turn them loose and maybe use them for man tracking, it could work, but he, they're very independent in what they do and the way they work. And for the GSPs I have, they couldn't care less about birds. So, uh, yeah, they're genetically flawed. That's for sure. They're the worst uh, pointers in the world. But, um, yeah, I test them to make sure that they uh, they aren't going to, like, you know, chase birds and stuff. So uh, the last thing I need is to get to Africa and start, you know, punishing a dog like a pointer for chasing or for, you know, being distracted by birds yep. when I needed to track men. So that dog shows uh, – one of the tests I do in my procurement phase is I walk the dog through the village square. And they are – it's like your typical, you know, European kind of square. There's like a little fountain and there's pigeons everywhere. And I walk the dog <laughs> through that and there's kids screaming on their bikes. You know, the Dutch people ride bicycles everywhere. Um, so that's what you see. Kids are running around chasing each other. There's a fountain, lots of water, birds – and for whatever reason they've got one of the biggest roads driving through that town so you get all the heavy goods vehicles coming through with the air brakes and all that and I just just watch the dog in that environment I just and if I see that point to just show me a drop of birdiness that's don't even want to I don't even want to waste my time dealing with it when I get to Africa I I have a tight schedule to get dogs yeah. to there's operational readiness and yeah there's a lot of birds and, and, and uh, <laughs> to your point you were talking about earlier one dog in particular becoming birdie and it wasn't your short hair it was a german shepherd wasn't yeah, it absolutely so so that, that that's really interesting um you know and, and to start wrapping this up grayson I, I i want you to speak to certain things that you know you don't hear a lot of but you do hear it to where a lot of people may say i i don't want to tr- train my dog to track heavily or do a bunch of tracking with it because they may become very, you know, velcro in the field. 
it, it's, it harms their search. Uh, they become dependent on me to steer them, so on and so forth. You know what? Talk to just talk to that point. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's, you know, it, it obviously. If you've listened to me talk at all, you know, all we talk about are principles. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're going to train a dog to track at all, you know, for me, it's going to be very simple. I'm going to put the wind on my back and I'm going to teach you to track on lead. And um, like everything else that we do, we're going to do it ritualistically over and over again until it's your nature. And then when I put you in an NA or UT or whatever we happen to be in, you know how to work to odor. That's all it comes down to. I, I've created a dog, whether I create him on land or in the water, that, that knows how to work to odor and, and satisfy itself. And they don't need me to put them in odor over and over again. But I've done that because I've controlled the context. I've controlled the environment. And I've controlled the outcome, as Jay always says. We can, we always have control of the outcome, yeah. and that's how we control the reinforcement of the behavior. And so, with the wind on your back, the only way to work to odor is to put your nose on the ground and find it, and to cross it. You know, incidentally, maybe the first few times, and then eventually that becomes a pattern, and that's how we teach you to get to odor. Stay with it until you've reached your objective. Yeah. Uh, it's from a dog training perspective, it's super simple, you know, but from, from the perspective of, of what Jay does, it's, yeah. it's complex. Well, and it, it, to, to add on to that, what Jay said something earlier today that stood out to me is like, again, you, you're making this a ritual through repetition. Yep. It starts with the harness, your, your routine on sending off the dog knows what it is. And it's like you said, you've seen a lot of dogs to where they've been taught nothing but but to not pull on a leash, right? So you said that some dogs have to actually be taught to pull with the harness. And so it's like the dogs learn by association. If I have this harness on, I can pull. Or if I have this harness on, this behavior is accepted. But you take the harness off, it's no longer that way. So it, the, the ritual and the routine is paramount when you're trying to do multiple different jobs with dogs. Well, and for us, we're versatile dog guys. Yeah, we get to like I say, you know, it all. And I don't want to. I, I don't want to make it silly. We do things. We it's casual. It's a game to us. Um, the, the guys, the rangers that work with the dogs that Jay goes and works with in say Garamba, which is in the DRC, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. There are. There are. Bad people with bad motives and very dangerous wildlife, and you don't see two meters in front of your face when you're working your dog out mm. there. It all comes down to trust. And so I know we're talking about how to develop a dog, but the the entire idea, the, the most important thing that those guys do out there is they trust their dog. And I want people to understand that when you're tracking a deer and you're working your dog once maybe once a week or once a month and you're working towards towards the ear season that uh, there are tracking principles that are in play for people whose lives depend on their dog's nose and their understanding of how to to track 
whether yeah. it be does it and again tracking a man tracking an animal it's we all it's the same thing yeah you know and so it's 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 not bullshit when we say that uh, you have to learn to trust your animal and you do it over and over and over again until you get it right so um but the, the principles don't change yeah and this is going to be a lot of times where it goes wrong and you do that track and you don't get to the end of it and you've trusted the dog and the dog's worked its little ass off and i don't know you don't find the deer or you don't the guy gets away or whatever the scenario is um dog comes off the track and it's just you know it's it's not you know training scenarios are perfect they yeah. don't always look great we don't always have to bring our dog in, get a perfect point, and make it look right. And when it goes wrong, we get pissed off at our dog. It's it, that's what a daily training looks like, and it's the same with what they do, man. Yeah, yeah. Every day, two steps forward, one step back, and you keep doing it until you get it right. You dial it in. Absolutely, and I mean to kind of reiterate, you know, what you're doing over there. It, it, it's dire circumstances. You know what what you guys are doing. It's obviously putting people's lives in immediate danger chasing those, those criminals and those poachers uh poachers but, lives yeah <laughs> there you go uh but also you know you, you're combating the elements and there's all kinds of crazy stuff over there you know what we did record a, a another bonus episode with uh your war stories as we called it and uh you know if if people are interested in those some of those were very highly entertaining and uh informative but you know uh we'll wrap this up but you know what we do need on this one you know give give us grace and you weren't on the other other one, you know, maybe both of y'all figure out a good war story to share, and, and we'll wrap it up with that. Oh. So tell them about the time I gave you a piggyback out the woods when yeah, you yeah. stepped on the thorn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like my, my first <laughs> six in. second day in Kenya, and uh, apparently you want to make sure you got steel shanks in your boots over there. As <laughs> well, I just a, look where you step. I mean, that's the, the I was in my ten, I was in my tinny runners. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a big old thorn as well, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had a uh, he calls it a thorn. <laughs> what well, we might call a briar. Where we come from, it's not a briar, man. This thing was just a real it was big a long. It looked like a railroad spike with a real sharp edge. The things, no shit, went all the way through my foot. Just blood squirting out the top, and luckily wow. Jay was there to save me and give me a piggyback ride. Just went embarrassed in front of everybody. Yeah, no. Good times. I had a tetanus shot. All was well. Oh, um, you still got your foot. No, <laughs> no it's, it is. It's fun going over there. You recognize, though, that you are. And when you're in Africa, you're just a tiny, tiny piece of of uh, this little nature. Well, well, well <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of like, you know, back to the point to where we're just tracking deer. You know, nothing with, with important circumstances. But you're just telling a story a little bit ago about uh, you've had a couple poachers go cliff jumping on you <laughs> yeah yeah so you know i i i want to hear more like what what's it like to be tracking a target that all of a sudden you're at a 50 foot cliff and there's only one way that that poacher went <laughs> I, you know i mean he, he gets to get away um, I'm, not, I'm not jumping off that cliff to follow him um but no i mean that that was a pretty cool day though we were out, we were out training and um we're by sundowners rock and Sundowners Rock is beautiful rock in the middle of nowhere. And you basically go up there, you drink a beer, and you watch the sunset. So it's pretty cool. And someone gave it a really creative name. Um, so we are in the middle of nowhere there. 
get a call on the radio and we got poachers on the ground um literally visually seen that two men and uh yeah they just took off into the bush so helicopters come to pick us up helicopter couldn't land at the road because the bush was too thick so we had to run from where we were training to an open area for the helicopter to land it was like three kilometers and you know we'd just been finished training we were all tired and you know been running through the bush and get out there jump on the chopper flies us out and one of the poachers has a bright yellow shirt on and uh, you can see him I mean, that's a like, great a great article uh, of clothing yeah, to wear when you're dude. doing something and, illegal uh, <laughs> it was rainy season so everything's green and you know in the chopper you could see him but there was nothing we could do in the chopper uh, so the guys on the ground were trying to like tell them where to go we've got the dog in the helicopter got the handle I'm there and um, it's like okay just we land as close as we can and I, I, it's such thick it's on top of the yatta there the yeah, bush yeah. is so thick you can't move and you know vines are going up down left and right and it's just it's like trying to walk through a spider web uh, a thick spider web and uh, eventually get get on the track dog's struggling to track um see the guy runs and off he goes off the cliff, just jumps. And uh, yeah, obviously the first guy had already gone or something. And uh, so yellow shirt's like, you know, midair, off he goes. <laughs> and uh, so we went down. We couldn't find him, got away. And uh, we looked for him and we looked for him and we looked for him. But that guy got clean away. And we, we it took us so long to get down there. But that's just one example, you know. And uh, I mean, the, the handler said to me, oh no, it's because the, he's disappeared because he's got a witch doctor to help us, to help him. <laughs> and that blew me away. But it's a cultural thing, you know, and it's their belief and who am I to say it's wrong and not true? And, you know, so I, I kind of like bit my lip and I, I just, I mean, I, I did say to him, I think he got away because he's better than us and we need to train harder and, uh, <laughs> you know, probably get some parachutes. Get better uh, than the witch doctor. Yeah, yeah. And, uh but I mean, like the witch doctor thing, I did that in Zimbabwe where someone asked me a question and they said, what do you feed the dogs? And I said, oh, we feed them the poachers. And I was joking. It's being sarcastic, Jay. And uh, yeah, the, it like went viral. And, uh, everybody <laughs> All thought the poachers that this, quit. <laughs> this guy was like, you know, feeding body parts to the dogs. You know? That was it. I was like, okay, this is easy. That's all I just need to tell him that. But um no, it's, uh, I mean, like the psychological operations is obviously important. And I I, I went into uh, um, the Zambezi region and I was talking to some of the guys there and I said to them, no, these, so everyone looks at me like I'm an American when I'm in Africa. Even though I was born there, I think I sound like a Zimbabwean. No, you every, don't. You every, sound very every, American. <laughs> everyone thinks yeah. I sound like an American. You're and definitely from North Carolina. Yeah, and I'm, like, I'm yawling and this kind of thing. But uh I said, no, these dogs come from America, eh? and uh, there's there's the witch doctor in America put a spell on the dogs to, um, you know, make them see poachers so they know who the poachers are. We don't need to track them. They just see the poacher and they bite them. And uh, none of the dogs do bite work. It's anyway, like that, everybody was like, ah, you know, so they all think that, uh, you know, the dogs have got some, you know, North American witch doctor spell going on. And so that was pretty cool. Um but no, man, we, you know, we're, we're very lucky. We get to do cool things in cool places, um, and it's it's one hundred percent a privilege. It really is. Uh, you know, like being able to go to Waterberg, like national park, um, 
I mean, there's no cell phone. There's no signal. Highest I, concentration of black rhino and black cake buffalo mamba. on the planet, <laughs> by the way. And, uh, he left me there for a month. Yeah. <laughs> I went to Kenya and swanning it. But uh, he, uh, Sheb, he came over. It's like, nah, Namibia's great. But honestly, we didn't have a vehicle. So no cell phone, no Wi-Fi, no, no, no vehicle, no evac plan. Oh, here's the- that old German farm on top of a plateau with yeah. a pump that doesn't work. Yeah. They, they pipe the water in from 37 kilometers away because that's cheaper than digging the well. borehole, the well. Yeah. And- um, and that was it. That was a training. You get fit though walking in that oh, sand. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, yeah. I lost about but, uh, 15, 20 pounds in the month. I was yeah. there. I think I'd rather diet than do that. It was awesome. It was, <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, that was the best experience. It was such an amazing, an amazing experience. And I think, you know, it's, it's amazing what you, how, what you learn about yourself as well. So, yeah. Yeah. dogs, they like, have taken me like all over this planet and Jay as well, right? Like, yeah. you know, and I think that's, that's well, the thing I, is everybody should, you were all hobbyists. I think that's what me and Devin were talking about. Yeah. You know, he, he he was on the bonus episode with us, but also just brought his dog out here to to learn how to track. And we we're talking like it's just amazing to to hear the stories that you guys are doing and to stop and think like, man, just your love of dogs like created all these stories. Really, like I mean, just where y'all have been training, the the experience that you've had. I mean, it's you know. The, the the stories that we've been listening to from Jay all day today, you know, it kind of makes me feel like you've been holding out on us, Grayson, because no, I've, 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 I've talked I to you a number up. of times, and it's just like, where are all these stories from you? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it, we go into it more on the uh, bonus episode, but Jay even caught the African Sasquatch. I, I was there. <laughs> Were you oh, there no, for that? No, I wasn't there at all. <laughs> no idea <laughs> Tongi, that's right. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean, so be- before we shut it off, where can everybody find you? Anything that you have going on? Uh, yeah, social media is the best place. Um, everybody's on social media now, but got a website as well. Uh, you can reach on that or just send me an email. It's uh, jcrafter and victorscanine dot com. Um, yeah, best best way to get a hold of me. Yeah, and. Uh, I'm not going to put my phone number out there. Don't get my digits to the world, but um, no, it's, it's all on the website. All the contact information. So, gotcha. Anybody can reach out that way. And if anybody wants to contribute and help, um, yeah, get a hold of me, and I can point them in the right direction. Make sure we do it properly. Absolutely, Grayson. You got anything you yeah. need to throw out there and pitch? Everybody should definitely go to Jay's uh, Instagram page. It's it's very telling. Um. Uh, there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done out there, and uh, and they need money to fund those programs. So you know, it just it, this, it's the more more awareness, the better it is. And I think it's important work that they're doing. Conservation globally is conservation yeah. at home, uh, and and it's really cool because when we were in Namibia, uh, the the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service was actually funding the rhino program we were on and still is. And so, you know, we're, we don't know it, but we're doing that work over yeah. there. It's fascinating and it's important. Um, you know, on top of that, uh, I hope you guys got to see today the effectiveness of this little program. Yeah. Like it's, it's small, you know, at the end of the day, we tracked a hundred yards with, with some blood spore, but I think every stinking dog out here, including the ones that looked like they were going to do nothing on our first track this morning, yep. did 
made progress and did something special. So there's something to it. I would love us to to do more of these. We obviously need to tighten the program up if we're going to do it. Um, you know, but but if you're interested in this, contact me, uh, Grayson at LostHighwayKennels.com. You can go to Lost Highway uh, Gun Dogs social media um, and and touch base with me there. But you know, I think if you're interested in tracking, there's a lot to be learned here, and I it think. Is. You're learning it from a uh, a fundamental foundation, uh, foundational perspective. So yep. we hope we can help you. Absolutely. And and to further your point, go follow Jay because you know all the other conservation pitches and, and plugs that we've done on this podcast. You know I've, I haven't quite seen an RGS or Quail Forever video of an elephant charging them while in the middle of bird hunting. So. Uh, <laughs> You know, Jay's got some really neat videos uh, up on that, so check them out. And, uh, guys, I appreciate it. I, I learned a lot today. I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's go crack another beer. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.